What's going on, Jamie? Welcome to the show. Awesome, Luke. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. I love it. Thanks for thanks for being on. You know, before I let you give your intro, I always like to give my followers and listeners a little shout out to you and, and a little bit of a background as to why I wanted to have you on the show. And, you know, for you, we've known each other, I don't know, for like a year now, maybe we're following each other on Instagram, met in person. Uh, that was awesome. But I really love because there's a lot of coaches in the space, but there's not the niche of like team sport athletes and athletics and having dietitians who were once, you know, whether it's individual sport athletes or team sport athletes, and then helping those populations. Like, I don't know, I don't see that very often on social media, nor do I know a lot of people doing that. And that's why I really love, I really love the messages that you give across having been through your own collegiate experience and own, you know, personal struggles and adversities that you've come over and, and then learning how to compete you know, combat those things with nutrition and, and changing your mindset. Like it's really cool to see and in a space where there's a lot of conflicting information, you know, information, there's a lot of polarizing opinions on, you know, what it means to be healthy and what it means to be athletic and, and how nutrition can support that. It's really nice that we have somebody like you to help navigate people through the BS and to be able to like be that voice of reason and help people prioritize what actually needs to be prioritized for their athletes to succeed, whether you are an athlete or a parent or a coach or whatever it may be, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, but what are the big rocks and how can we double down on those? And, and how can we get your kid or yourself to be as high functioning, high performing as possible? And I, I think you do a really good job of that on social media. So thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. That was, that was very nice of you. Very kind words. <clears throat> I mean, I, I have not had like, I'd say the easiest route just because like, I think that honestly, like I am naturally a very introverted person. So just being a dietitian in general and talking with people, I think is, is like something I've had to learn. And then figuring out who I wanted to talk to. I always knew I wanted to talk to soccer players. Like I played soccer my whole entire life. Um, but figuring out how to make it work in a way that is not only going to help the athlete, which is where my experience comes from, but also the parent, which is where my professional experience comes into play. So it's really, it's really just kind of interesting. Totally. And having that voice in that presence on social media, like social media is hard in that context, especially when you're talking to different populations and people that you're trying to serve even same with me, I find myself talking to different types of people on Instagram, like trying to trying to get inside of people's heads and, and speaking their language in a sense. But you know, everybody's different. Everybody goes through their own struggles. Everybody's on their own path. And it's difficult to like to make this umbrella kind of, you know, Instagram or 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 thought process or things that you promote on your social media page or your email list or whatever it is and and to be able to continue to speak to all the people you want to speak to. And and that's what makes social media so hard, but I mean, we're blessed and so lucky to have it at the same totally. time. It doesn't discount the fact that it's hard to communicate with all the people we want to communicate with and and give messages that we want to to give off, but you do a really good job at that. And then for the people who do not know you or who have never heard of you, just give us a little background of who the soccer nutritionist is and how you came to be in kind of who you work with and in, in the population you serve now. Yeah. So I started playing honestly a little bit older than most kids now. Like most kids started like three, four, five. I started at 10 just because I was so shy. Um, and so 
once I started playing at 10, it really was just like, like, I felt like I found my home and I felt like where I, I was able to actually <clears throat> make friends pretty easily. So soccer was that, that bridge for me. So I played in middle school, played in high school, and then eventually played uh, division one in college, which was an amazing experience. Looking back on it, I learned a lot. That's unfortunately where I think where my take on nutrition comes in is just because I can look back on my collegiate high school career and see a lot of my own gaps with how I handled my own nutrition, but um, ended up playing on, honestly, I was able and blessed to play three, four years of semi-pro um, when I left college. So that was nice, was not expected, but really fun. And then I uh, went into my, obviously my professional career as a registered dietitian, worked in a variety of settings. Uh, the first one was in WIC, which was, which is uh, Women, Infants, Children. It's a government-assisted program. I loved that program, and, and it gave me a lot of perspective just with the family dynamic and how kids are reliant on parents for food um, and kind of instilling some really good habits. Then I went into working at a gym and cardiac rehab. And I thought that that was where I wanted to be. I was like, this is the destination. Like I am here. I love this. And it fell short for me. I was like, this is like, I can't keep doing this anymore. Like this is not as fulfilling. I loved my patients, but it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't that great anymore. So then I went and for four years, I worked at a behavioral um, hospital. So I worked with people that had eating disorders, uh, disordered eating, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, dementia, like ran, ran the whole entire spectrum. And I loved it. And also is honestly the most stressful part of being my professional career. I think my mental health took the largest like plummet. Um, and that was also during COVID. So there was a lot of stress going on there. And I just had to get out. And I was like, I have always wanted to work with athletes. I don't want to work in a collegiate setting. I don't want to work for a team because that lifestyle is not something that I really enjoy. Like I want to do this in a different way. And that's where I found my niche. And that's where I you know, I love working with my population. I love helping young athletes. And in turn, that's also working with their parents to help the family unit as a whole really function, you know, really well on all cylinders. Yeah, totally. I think you and I share a similar experience in the sense that like, hey, you, you have this experience as a kid, whether you're an athlete, like I, I would technically consider myself as an athlete. I didn't play like collegiate stuff in college or anything, but you know, intramurals and city league stuff. Like you still have that kid in you. You like to play basketball, tennis, you know, oh, golf, yeah. like everybody has that inner child in them still. And what sucks is a lot of times and this is kind of off topic, but they get to adulthood, right. Or they get to college or they graduate college and all of a sudden like people stop playing, right. They, they stop playing what they used to love or they stop doing what kind of fueled their fire. And, and it's like, 
that doesn't have to be like that. And, and I know it's harder, right? You have responsibilities and careers and kids. Like there's a reason why people stop playing those things, like the risk of energy injury and you not being able to perform like you once were and not knowing your limits and thinking that you were 18 years old when you're 28. Like sometimes that's a recipe for disaster, but part of that is people lose, you know, connection with what their identity was at one point and it sucks. And that's where you talked about mental health and, and things like that. Like you going through your own dietetics practice where it's like, Hey, I was a collegiate athlete. I did semi-pro stuff. I love, I love athletics. I love sports nutrition. Then you find yourself in like a, you know, a, a mental rehab hospital or a setting. And it's like, damn, this is really depressing. It's the same thing with like athletes and post-graduation and them, you know, experiencing their own, you know, kind of remorse for not being able to continue what they were doing. And I'm proud of you for us, or I guess for us being able to like come full circle and say, Hey, I'm not going to accept this. And I'm going to re-implement and do the things that I'd love to do, whether that's business, your career, your athletics, your own, you getting back into the gym or playing a, a you know, a 50 plus year old soccer league indoors, something like yeah. that. Like, how can we get back to doing what we once love? Cause at the end of the day, like what's, I mean, what's the point if we're not doing shit that we love every day? So I, I think that's really cool and how that came full circle for you. So Kudos yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting, because I faced this both in my in my playing career, and in my professional career, a point where I asked myself if I still wanted to keep going. And I experienced burnout in both experiences. And it was having to ask myself, be really honest with what I wanted from my own life and what made me happy. And with soccer that was to keep going but change how I my relationship with it so that it was still a good one and then with you know being a dietitian it was I can't keep going in this in this career I need to pivot if I'm going to continue doing this because I know I love it it's just I can't keep doing this exactly uh, you said the word burnout and I, I kind of want to pivot and talk about that for a little bit because far too often now I see <laughs> And I don't know if it's different now, or if I'm just like old and I'm just an older person thinking things were different and better when we were in high school or whatever it was. But, you know, when I was a kid, there was a lot of one sport athletes out there. Right. And I know it's more common now, I think for there to be one sport athletes, whether it's basketball or soccer or volleyball or gym or insert whatever little sport you can think of. And I see the emphasis of it, right? Because there's this there's this need to feel like you need to compete and to be the best. And I, I love that. And that's what we're here for is like, how can we make your best even better? And how we, how can we continue to push that needle forward? So you can get out of your training and your sport, what you want to. And I think a lot of that has to, to deal with like, Hey, people choosing to do one sports only me. I played like four sports in high school. Right. And maybe that contributed to, to my mediocrity in, in some of those sports, but I had a blast doing it, but I didn't feel burnt out on on tennis or in basketball or track or whatever sport I was playing at the time. And today it seems like burnout is becoming more of a thing. And I don't know if you can confirm or deny this, but burnout in the sense of doing something over and over again, since you were young and then getting to the point where it's like, I'm done with this. And part of that burnout can be contributed maybe from, you know, nutrition insufficiencies, right. Or not feeling like you're progressing as well as you could be, or doing something over and over again and feeling that stalemate or that stagnancy. And a lot of people can resonate maybe with that, with their own, 
you know, physique nutrition and Mm -hmm. when they're trying to lose weight or change their body composition, I think there's some parallel in that sense, but do you see, and maybe talking about burnout for on your standpoint, but do you see that in the populations that you work with? And, And is there kind of an emphasis in the way you practice and the way you communicate to your people and your audience? And like, this is a way to help avoid that or to continue to make the most out of this experience. So it's enjoyable rather than a burden on you as you continue to go to get older in that. Totally. So I think that burnout is a huge thing that youth athletes experience for a variety of reasons. Like they start out so young, there is a push to like practice and train like the pros. And so they try to do things like professionals do, but they don't have the resources like professional athletes do. And even professional athletes are talking about how their own mental health is not very good. So we're, we're setting kids up, you know, really poorly. Um, Like you, I did all these different types of sports, not just soccer up until probably my sophomore year of high school. And that's when I was like, nope, I can't like, and that's where I started to feel this pressure is like, if I'm going to get a college scholarship, I need to do this. I need to do that. And like, it just didn't, didn't end very well for me, but you know, I think these kids feel this pressure with social media because they're, it's never ending. Like social media doesn't have, like it doesn't open at eight o'clock and end at eight. It's always on. And so there's this perception that, you know, this person that you're following is doing something every single day, multiple times a day. Like they never take a break and they're training, you know, so many times. And that just, I think, doesn't help with comparing like a lot of these kids are comparing themselves or they're competing against somebody that they're following or their teammates just this like mindset that even I see coaches kind of leveraging that I think is a little unethical like if I'm gonna be honest I think it's a little sleazy so these kids are are just wanting to do their best they're wanting to please like adults. And so they kind of have this drive. And I often see kind of this burnout because they just are so rigid because they're young kids, like they don't know any better. And a lot of what I do with like my clients and just how I approach things on my own uh, social media platforms is just viewing it through the lens of self-compassion. Because when we have these perfectionist tendencies, or we feel like you know, we have to be perfect in everything that is going to fail us. We are going to fail. Like it's inevitable for that. But, you know, if they don't have, like they're so rigid and don't have that flexibility, I can bet that they're the way that they talk to themselves is really bad. And so I try to bring in like, how are we able to kind of reframe our negative self-talk and make it not necessarily like it's this toxic positivity, but like, how can we be kinder to ourselves? Like, how can you be nice to yourself? How can you give yourself a hug versus like just ripping yourself every single time, you know? And that that's where I see a lot of kids experiencing or getting to the verge of burnout. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and progression really comes from that place more than anywhere else. That place of like, being on your own team, right? Because no one else is going to be on your team for you. Your parents might, right? Your friends might. But when you think about it, it's like 
everybody's out for themselves. And it's not this zero sum game that a lot of people think it is when it comes to athletics and, and competing, right? And it's like you said, it's a really dangerous, slippery slope when you start comparing yourself to others. And, and yes, is there a place where that could be beneficial? Like maybe, I don't know. I mean, I've done it before and it sure as hell was not productive for me. And then when you get to this place where it's like, well, who, who was I yesterday? Who, who was I three months ago or a year ago? And how far have I grown? Or what is my 40 time or what position am I, am I playing now? And what, you know, team am I trying to make? It's like, before you know it, you see yourself evolving over time. And unless you're on your own team, that process becomes very lonely. And that's a lot of times when burnout could also happen too, is when you're constantly striving to get better at something that is pissing you off and making you upset and, and, and something that's taking away from your life rather than adding to it. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the right answer is. Like there's, there's so many external influences that go into somebody trying to get better, right? Like if you're a high schooler listening to this right now and you're hearing, Oh yeah, you have to be in your own corner and your own biggest cheerleader. It's like, yeah, the sentiment is cool, but it's, it's really hard to actually implement that even as adults. Right. And even people who have been through it, it's still hard for you to be your own biggest fan, Jamie, I bet some days in your business, right. And to show up for your clients and oh, yeah. different things. And it's not this thing that you just happens overnight, but it takes practice and it takes falling in love with that, that practice. And it's the process of you doing those things, the process of you pursuing whatever goal you're you're pursuing you start to realize that those are the best parts of this whole thing right it's not the it's not you making a varsity team it's not you running or scoring the game winning goal it's like all the work and all the effort whether it's emotional or mental or actual physical work that went into you competing at the highest level and that's when people really feel they're most fulfilled and that's my experience at least but yeah that's a really good point you brought up i love that yeah no i love that i love how you framed that just because i think that when I look back on my soccer career, I like would beat myself up pretty hard. And it was really hard to get out my negative thoughts when I faced like a similar situation. And I think now that I'm like older, being able to like, I could still get frustrated with myself, but like shortening that window of how long I am frustrated with myself like that, I, I now measure how well I'm responding to stuff with how long it takes me or how short it takes me to kind of bounce back. And I think that that's something that, you know, I wish that I had learned a lot sooner because then it does make that process of like learning and getting better, which is our whole lives, just a lot easier and more enjoyable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of playing into that too, from like a nutrition fitness standpoint, right? Like this desire to compete with ourselves that only becomes more difficult when you're not eating enough or eating, eating maybe the right foods that are supporting the goals that you're trying to work towards. Right. And, and overtraining is definitely a thing. I think it's more of a thing sometimes in athletics and, and people with collegiate level, high school level, even at a professional level. And, and that's why you see so many people. It was funny. I was watching, it was like the USC UCLA football game a couple of weeks ago. And they were talking about the quarterback for USC, how he's hired his own dietitian as like a collegiate football player. And I'm like, that's really dang cool because I think it's really undervalued the importance of nutrition and how that actually can separate you from your best potential and you from being stuck where you're at in a sense. 
But what are some of the things that you see, I guess, signs and symptoms of like, maybe somebody's not eating enough. What are, what are some telltale signs that you can look for or talk to people about when it comes to, are you, are you fueling adequately? Are you, are you maximizing your nutrition to support the output that you're expending, whether it's in the gym or on the field mm -hmm. or on the court or doing practice stuff or when it comes to recovery, like what are some of those signs that you can kind of tell people to look for and, and how to acknowledge that so we can kind of identify that and then make a change from that? Yeah. And I think that like, there's so many, um, so many signs that, you know, it can be a little like overwhelming, but you know, if you're just not having enough energy to last, you know, if you're playing in a game, like if you don't have enough energy to last, that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a problem. Um, if you are, if you, if you don't have a lot of uh, muscle strength or your muscle strength is kind of waning, that's a sign your muscles endurance. Um, you know, I think that when I look at these signs, I look at them both in like a performance standpoint, but also like how, how they're performing in the classroom as well. So if they're having difficulty concentrating or focusing on what the teacher is saying or what the coach is saying, that's a problem. Uh, mood changes, mood shifts, like if they're really irritable, uh, maybe they're getting more anxious. That can be a sign where, hey, we need to, you know, when was the last time you ate? You know, and that can be, you know, that can be something that can help them just become more aware. I think if they are training so hard, but not seeing any results, that should be an indicator that we need to look at someone's nutrition. Um, if they're not recovering really well and it's taking them, you know, a little bit longer to recover from the training the day before, that's some that's another reason why we want to be looking at, you know, what are they, you know, are they eating enough throughout the day? Um, are they, you know, truly eating enough to support all that they're doing in their training sessions, like if they are overtraining to your point, like that's, you know, we need to make sure that what they're eating is in excess, essentially, um, or else they're going to be deficient. And I think too many athletes don't really understand what that looks like, but they're just like, I need to be in a calorie deficit. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Being a calorie deficit, like all these buzzwords that you might see on social media or hear from your parents or coaches and things that you know, you've been told that you think is going to help you, but you have no idea what to do to actually get that help or what it means oh, yeah. to actually change what you need to change to get to where you want to be. And, you know, what's hard is like, I feel like people wear this as like a badge of honor of like being super tired and being sore or not getting enough sleep because you're working so hard or like, you know, always doing something every day of the week and not taking any rest days. It's like, it's like, there's somewhat of like a toxic culture around like outworking. And I, I get the sentiment and I'm not shitting on the idea of outworking other people around you, but there's, there's kind of a spectrum or a balance that you need to acknowledge when it comes to working hard. And I'd argue too, that, you know, if you aren't taking rest days and if you aren't doing these things that you're actually intentionally taking time away from your sport or from your training and you're taking rest days, like you might not be training hard enough sometimes in order to need those rest days. If you're just going 24, seven, seven days a week, or the other side of it is you are training too much and you actually need those one, two, three, four rest days a week sometimes in order to adapt and progress from your training and, in, in 
in your practice and all those things. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because I I think people can get so caught up, whether it's watching social media or, or again, comparing yourselves to others or parents who were like, when I was young, I did this and we didn't do all these things. And, you know, you know, there was no injuries. We just went in, we played It's like, well, you know, that's the reason. Like there's a lot of stupidest shit things out there that that I hear from like older people and not just, you know, discarding their emotions and the way they've, they've experienced their own, you know, trial with their sports and whatever it is. But there's just this toxic culture I see sometimes of like, who can be the mentally toughest, who could be the physically toughest and, and what are you doing to separate yourselves from other people? And sometimes that takes away from eating enough, sleeping enough, like prioritizing rest days, like talking nice to yourself stopping to smell the roses in some context, right? Like it takes you, it blinds you away from the progress that you've made this far. And again, how enjoyable this process can be and turns us into something that, oh, you're always wanting something more and something better. And you always need to be doing that, which I don't know. It's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like to talk to my athletes and like, if they're not, most of them before they work with me are they may take a rest day. They may not. Um, and usually like the leagues that they play in don't even give them much of a rest anyways, which like blows my mind. But I often say like the sign of maturity when I work with athletes is when they decide to like structure in at least, at least one rest day, if not two, and then maybe a third, if they're in a really heavy season and they just, recognize that their body needs it like to me that is the sign of a mature athlete and that when it comes to my population that often falls on the parent to have to remind the athlete like I know you want to but we have to take rest days because it's important and they may not get why it's important and they may not understand but that is the job of the adult to help guide young athletes because they are not thinking like that of, of an adult. And so that's, you know, the food part is, is important, but sleep and rest days are equally as important. And yeah, like the adult has to be able to say like, I'm sorry, like we're not doing that. And it can be tough. Like you kind of end up becoming the bad, like kind of the bad cop, but it's for their best interest. Yeah, totally. And I think it's even just important to have that other voice of reason or maybe having another level-headed approach. And at the end of the day, athletes, they're going to choose what they want to do. And you even see that with professional athletes, right? It's like, oh, I get a concussion. I come out of the game. I come back in because I want to play, you know, like we see that and they end up getting hurt and there's all these scary things. And it's like how much responsibility falls on the person and how much responsibility falls on the systems around that person. And I, I don't think that there's one that is going to outweigh the other in a sense. It has to be mutual in a sense, but there also has to be some of those voices of reason and some of that, that appreciation for the opposite side of things and and being able to like be that voice in somebody's head and to build awareness around some of the things that maybe they aren't thinking about, or they haven't been prioritizing or haven't even heard Mm -hmm. of before in order for them to make an informed decision for themselves later on, whether they do choose to do, you know, to go to bed at a reasonable time or continue playing video games before practice the next day. It's like, like you can't control the the athlete, but you can be that person that is in their corner. That's, that's laying down some of the, the reasons as to why we're doing what we're doing. And then 
at some point, like that person has to make that change for themselves. And it's hard because you're expecting those decisions to be made from 12 year olds or 16 year olds <laughs> or 22 year olds. And it's like, like you said, you go through your, your collegiate career and you realize on your own that, Hey, you did nu nutrition, you were in dietetics, but there are still gaps in what you implemented versus what you knew potentially. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately everybody's going to have those as they progress down their life, yeah. but can we minimize that? And, and, and that's what you're here for. That's what parents are here for and wow. coaches. But again, there's other coaches, there's other, you know, healthcare providers, there's other teammates and things that are going to be telling you the other side of things. And that's where this all gets really convoluted and really difficult to manage for some people. So yes. that's why I think yes. it's still so important to talk about these things because it's different from what you hear in this, you know, outwork culture that we tend to live in today, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I don't know, you can't, you can't make decisions for anybody, but you can better help them appreciate what it means to take care of their body. And then they can make those decisions for themselves too, yeah. if they're capable of doing it. Or again, if you're a parent and you have a child and you can give them a protein source at every dinner, right. And you can give them some pretzels and some yeah. Gatorade during practice, right. Or you can do some of these things to help them feel better. Like sometimes people get so used to feeling like crap that it takes getting them to a better place for them to actually appreciate what it means to perform better or to, to be able to last longer in their games or in their practice and, and getting them to a place where they're like, damn, this could be a whole lot better. If I do some of these things, that's where I think nutrition has its place. And I'm biased. We're both biased, but I would argue that that's one of the most important things when it comes to your athletic performance and everything that you're doing, you know, trying to get better and, and, get a scholarship or make the team yeah. or whatever it is you're working towards. Yeah, it definitely, I think when it comes to, to like the culture with youth sports, there's like this overemphasis of like, I'm going to train with my team and I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one training. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to have a strength coach and a sprint coach. And I will not hate on those. They have their place, but so often I think they, you know, they want, they see the results and they, they actively see their child doing something like that. So they think that, okay, this is going to produce what I'm hoping it will produce in them. But too often the nutrition piece isn't included. And when I ask a lot of questions, usually there's, you know, the parents like, well, you know, he or she will figure it out. And it's like, yeah, like, but when do you think that that's going to happen? And who do you think they're going to get their information from? And are they going to get it from, you know, Ronaldo, who has like a bajillion personal chefs and like at ready, like whatever, however many physical therapists and a massage therapist and a chiropractor, like, okay, like how, how can we give them advice without, you know, giving them like an eating disorder? For sure. Yeah, for sure. It's uh you know, what's practical for you. Cause I think we lose sight on that. Right. And that's, that's also the hard part too, is like, you know, the parent, they sign their kids up for soccer or again, insert whatever sport that you're playing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, before you know it to play on this team, it costs this much. And then in order for my child to play, I need to do this and hire these people. And then I need to get the cleats or the gear or, you know, take them to the traveling team or, you know, be a booster and, and provide this much financials for the team. So my kid can play more like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of a low blow on my front. I, but that's true. And there's a reality that like this, 
this stuff costs a lot of money, right? But I think one of the things that people don't invest as much time or effort and not even money, right? Because because this does not have to be expensive, but in order to get the most out of the training and the one-on-one sessions and the group session, and maybe you doing stuff on the weekends, it's like, what's the one thing that's going to improve all of that? It's your nutrition and it's your hydration and it's your ability to take care of yourself and, and to manage stress and, and to prioritize rest. And like you said, it's just not emphasized enough. And that's oftentimes what, you know, is the make or break thing when it comes to a kid excelling on the field or getting that starting spot. And the nutrition is one of those things. And I know we agree on this, but I just want people to understand where you investing in your nutrition or your child's nutrition, it has acute, like immediate benefits, right? Like you, he, he can have a, he or she can have a better performance at practice or whatever it is. It has short-term benefits. And like you doubled down on the basics, the big rocks, the nutrition, like three months from now, your kid might be stronger, faster, X, Y, and Z, but it also yep. has long-term benefits as well. Maybe you're child is less likely to get injured, right? To be more sustainable, more durable, more strong, healthier, like more capable of handling double day practices, even though you're doing singles right now. So nutrition is one of those things where without it, everything else tends to not be as productive or in some cases can fall apart. So I just, I know we're biased and we do this for a living, but man, like without it, what do we have, right? Like none of the other stuff really is maximized without it, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, you're like, you know, sometimes I feel like a broken record because I say, you know, we, we both say these things, but it's like, you know, how else are you going to get energy to do the things that you want to do? Like, I love massage guns, but they're not going to give my body energy. Like I love, you know, foam rollers. That's not going to do anything for me. Cold tub. That's, great nothing is going to provide energy the way that food does just what our body needs and i think that you know we take it for granted because we eat every single day but we are not like i'm the expert of my of my body and what works for me but a lot of people don't really know what works for them they just kind of and this is what what i was doing when i was in middle school and high school like i just I ate, but I didn't have a rhyme or reason to it. And eventually where that got me was, you know, in a place where I wasn't performing very well. I had this stalled training regimen. Like I got injured frequently, especially in college when the level of play became more intense and more frequent. Like I found myself injured more often. And that was really frustrating because who wants to sit the bench? Like who wants to always be in the training room? Like it's not fun. So I think while a lot of parents don't and a lot of athletes don't see kind of the ramifications, you know, to your point, like when it's, you know, when you don't know and and with all you know is just not feeling good, that's comfort zone. And I think being able to get outside of that and say like, well, I just, I don't know what I don't know is a really great place to start because that's where we can really open doors and it doesn't have to be you know, it doesn't have to be difficult. Like we're not changing your entire diet and you having to eat completely different. Like, I think that's what scares a lot of people when it comes to their nutrition. Like they're going to be told they can't eat these things ever again. And it's like, that is definitely not, not what I don't think I'm pretty sure you don't do it. I don't do it. Like we're not changing 
you know, draft, we're not making drastic changes. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And you said a word like 10 times energy, right. And it'd be fun to kind of go down that direction. Um, but I also want to hit on a point that you said where it's like, you know, you yourself know what to do now, having gone through school and work with athletes and, and what, you know, changes person to person, right. And individualizing these things person to person is required, but there's also a lot of, a lot of blanket things that most people could also benefit from, right? Like there's probably 90%, 95% of the population you work with could also benefit from like two to five things that they double down on and they could see some immediate and long-term results from doing that. Um, but there's a difference between thinking we know what to do versus actually knowing what to do and actually implementing that and following through with that. And I see that so often too, in, in just the diet culture and in fitness space in general, but there's a lot of like super common misconceptions that we see when it comes to fueling your kids. Or if you're an athlete right now, fueling yourself and things you've heard from your parents or from social media or from a fitness influencer or from a coach. And there's so many, I just have seen so many common, you know, misinterpreted, misinterpreted stuff from people, but also misimplied stuff from people. And, and it's killer because when you start to do that over and over again, expecting this result and you don't get that result, like that's what leads to burnout sometimes too. And that's what kills people's confidence and performance. But I, if it's okay with you, I want to ask you a couple things, maybe some common misconceptions that I've seen. You could add a few mm -hmm. if you like, and we're going to pick on carbs here because I think carbs are one of the most demonized macronutrients when we talk about nutrition and dieting and performance, but let's be real, right? Like carbs, carbs are God's gift to earth, right? Especially when it comes to an athlete trying to perform it, it is her is his or her best. My question to you, Jamie is like, why are people so afraid of carbs and why are we so afraid to eat them? <laughs> you know, you know, I, it's, it's really frustrating, but you know, I think our culture values thinness and claims that that is health. So we have to know that right off the bat. So when we like, as a dietitian, like we've learned and even lived through all the different kind of fad diets, you know, I remember there being like, it was like fat free, this fat free that. And it wasn't because like fat was actually bad. It was that they thought, well, if I ate more fat, I'm going to be fat. And so like, there's points throughout where it doesn't really matter what it is. It could be fat. It could be carbs. Maybe one day it'll be protein. I don't know. Um, protein probably have its day, but like everything kind of gets demonized at some point, just because that is diet culture. It has to shift to keep it to keep its, to keep its relevancy. Um, and so I think that, you know, right now that is, those are carbohydrates, but you know, they're a huge category, you know, like they're tasty, they taste really good. And I think that, you know, people also believe that they can't control themselves. Like they've kind of created this narrative that they can't control themselves around carbohydrates. So they can't have them. And if they have them, then it's just kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy that like, I'm going to like eat as much of this as possible and not feel good. Um, but for athletes, the problem is, is that carbohydrates for the body and the brain are the preferred fuel source. So it's really hard as an athlete living in a world that is so focused on thinness because the world says carbohydrates are bad. 
but your body as an athlete revolves around them and needs them in order to perform at their best. So it's a really, really confusing time. And it's really just frustrating as a dietitian because I'm, I'm feel like I'm constantly just trying to make carbohydrates neutral for people. And that is really hard. I know it's, it's tough when you, when you tell somebody it's like, Hey, yeah, eat a bagel before you go to practice. And I'm like, what a bagel? Like, are you kidding me? Like that's breaking my fasting window. You know what I mean? But, but it brings up this point where it's like, you said diet culture, but this, this idea of dieting and changing your physique or your body composition is bleeding into the performance space. And we have to remember that physique and body composition, nutrition is so different than performance nutrition. And yes, maybe there is some overlap for sure. Getting some protein in, like there's some, there's some fundamentals that, that go hand in hand, but you cannot under eat your way into the body of your dreams, let alone being able to perform at your best. And that's where we see a lot of this, this good or bad food dichotomy in the, the athletic space is because and maybe it's not the athletes. Cause I, I do think a lot of these, this information is learned secondhand, right? Like whether it's secondhand through social media or through some magazine stuff or from your parents or from coaches or from friends, like there's all this external stimulus and information constantly being flooded into our brains around what it means to be healthy. And what sucks is this idea that, Hey, if you're a smaller human being, you are going to be a better athlete regardless. And that could be the furthest thing from the truth. And, and me having lived that, having once maybe thought that, and then having worked with people to wrap their head around a different idea and ideology of like, yes, the way your body looks, I don't know, maybe, maybe has some relevance to it, but the way your body feels, the way your body operates, the way you talk to yourself, the way you feel the, the crap out of your body that's going to be the deciding factor on whether or not you succeed or not sometimes. And oftentimes when you shift that mindset, you know, I don't want to discredit if, if somebody's overweight or obese and they want to get the lean body and they, that might help them. Like there are contexts where may, Hey, maybe losing some weight for some people might help, but for the blanket majority of, of athletes, like that's not the main, that's not the main point of emphasis. And I'll never forget it. It was, it was an amazing thing. That's why I love social media sometimes, but it was the Olympics this last year. Right. And it was like, there was a reel about different bodies and different athletes and all these ladies competing at the highest level males as well. But I saw this in the context of females. And it was like, first off, you see a shot putter who's probably 290 pounds, just slaying the gold medal. Right. And then you see the soccer player and then you see the gymnast and then you see the fencer and then you see, you know, the basketball player and everyone has these different bodies and physiques, but they all are operating at a really high level. And it just goes to show you that, and again, this might be taken a little out of context, but your body, it is not the deciding factor of whether or not you are going to succeed or not. And yes, maybe your body might dictate what sport you go into. Like, do you have a swimmer's body? Do you have a small, uh, a smaller body? Are you a gymnast? Are you going to be taller? Are you a basketball player? Like there are some situations where may, Hey, your body and the bones that you were gifted with dictate some of the directions you go towards, but man, I just, if anything takes anything away from this podcast today, I want them to think that like, Hey, my body is one of the least interesting things about me, mm -hmm. but it's also one of the least important things that I don't need to focus on 
so to speak, when it comes to trying to achieve my athletic potential, you know? 100%. I think that like, I think we often lose sight, like, okay, a professional athlete did not train to have a body of a professional athlete. They trained in a way that was for the sport that they're playing. And so that is like, they ate in a way that supported that training. They did their, you know, whatever strength, sprint, whatever training it was, went towards their performance. And and I see a lot of athletes trying to look the part. And it's, and that is like, everyone can do whatever they want. Like they really, if they want to do that, fine. But I think that when you are striving to look the part, you are kind of handicapping yourself because you're likely not going to be performing the part. And, you know, I think that all bodies are, you know, there's body diversity. Like we all look the same. We're not all the same height. Like I wish I were taller. That's not going to happen, you know? And I think that understanding that it's not just like what you eat and how much you train that dictates your body size, but there is a lot more to it, like genetics and how you manage your stress and just what your socioeconomic status is. Like some people have more to, you know, put towards eating a certain way or having access to certain healthcare and other things versus someone else who, who may not. And so, you know, emphasizing body size for a sport, I think is, is, you know, not the right thing, but, you know, I get why people do it. But I think that, you know, having to point your compass to really what's your why in doing it. And hopefully it's because you want to get better. Like you want to be able to be quicker, last longer in your games, like be more focused, be able to make better decisions, you know, going by those metrics versus, you know, what your weight is on a scale is, you know, it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, when it comes to looking the part or putting your finite amount of mental energy really towards looking the part or looking different. That's when, that's when things with your nutrition can go a little bit crazy, right? Like that's when you start to go to the extreme with some of these things and you start practicing like, Hey, I'm going to go low carb or I'm not going to eat before practice, or I'm going to fast until 12, or I'm going to, I'm going to avoid all junk foods completely and just eat quote unquote clean. Like that's when this, this idea of like, Oh, I just need to to eat cleaner and to do all these things that unfortunately can actually take away from your performance. And that's part of the reasons why we're not, we're not on the the train of like, Hey, let's change the way you look because that's going to change the way you perform when in reality. And I can speak to this too, because I've worked with like physique competitors and people, but seeing people who are shredded and lean and, and are super strong. Like if you ask them how they feel, a lot of them feel terrible, right? Like their sex drive is low. They have low energy. Their workouts are suboptimal. Yes. They're at a 5% body fat or 12% body fat females. Right. But it's like, they also feel terrible and there's a lot of things wrong with their body and they sacrifice a lot to look like that. But if you were to say, Hey, go compete with this person in a hundred yard dash, chances are they're not going to be able to compete with them. Right. Or to be able to run 90 minutes in a soccer game, you bet your ass that that body is not going to give them the tools and, 
and things that are going to be required to make it through that game. And again, that's, that's why I just, I want people to remember that, Hey, your body is going to change when you start to fuel intentionally and, and really take care of yourself and prioritize all these things. But your performance is not going to get better if you only try and change the way you look. And that's where, that's where things can kind of get, I guess, things can go downhill for some people when they just put all their, their eggs in that basket. Well, I think it's also hard because with like with my population, their bodies like need to change. They're developing into their adult body. So if they're trying so hard to not gain weight, well, what they're ultimately doing is hurting their overall health. So yeah, like performance is, is, you know, they're kids, they could probably still perform like kind of well, but eventually it's going to catch up and their growth is going to be impacted. Their overall development, like if they are, you know, their reproductive health, like their menstrual cycle is going to be off, which is then going to affect their bone health. All these things just have like a cascade effect within these health systems in the body. And I think that, you know, parents and coaches need to be aware you know, and start having these conversations that, you know, we have to normalize weight changes in adolescent youth bodies, because we need them to know that that's okay, that that is going to happen, and that their worth is not in their appearance, even though middle school and high school is one of the toughest times to be a kid because you are so focused on your appearance and just thinking that everyone's looking at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. Cause thinking it personally back in the day, like nobody really has those conversations. Like I I never really had that conversation. And, And luckily I was blessed with a family that was super into sports. They were both athletes in college and in our nutrition practices for me seemed normal at the time, but we also, we all, I always had breakfast and my mom always packed my lunch and, and we always had a protein with dinner and we always had fruits available and there's sweets mm-hmm. on the counter at all times. Like I was looking back so lucky that my parents were able to do this, whether that was intentional or not, whether that was just what they did and that's what they did with me. I was really blessed for that, but man, that's, that's probably 1% of our population. Right. And that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's the hard part is a lot of times people learn secondhand. These kids learn secondhand and whether it's intentional or not intentional from their families, it's still a barrier that you need to overcome. And when it comes to time where they're changing, right. And, and they're growing rapidly and they're trying to compete with other people that are older than them. People will go to all stops in order to, to do to, to compete a little bit better, even if it means going against what it means to compete better and to feel themselves better but you're right. It's all normal. Like changing is normal. Your body changing is normal. And we need to embrace that and accept that and just let people know that that's okay. And that's hundred percent the process of you getting to your full capabilities and your athletic potential. And, and I think we just need to destigmatize that for sure. Definitely. For sure. Well, I love that. You know, one thing I wanted to, to talk about real quick too, while I had you was, um, we talked about just some common misconceptions, but things I wish parents weren't so, weren't so confused about, or people weren't so confused about. Maybe this could be a little rapid fire. I want to be respectful of your time, but I'm going to do maybe three or four little topics and we can talk for a second on it and move to the next one. But there's some things that I just want to get your two cents on and, and, and just to get that, just get that recorded for everyone to hear. But first one is kind of deeping off the carbs conversation we had. 
are sports nutrition drinks or electrolyte drinks with sugar added to them, are those bad? No. Sports drinks with sugar, <laughs> helpful for kids, especially in and around their performance. I would probably say, you know, if it's not around their performance, like switching to water, milk, juice, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Like that's, that's their purpose. It's their job is to literally give yeah. you electrolytes and some carbs so you can continue to compete and replenish some of those things that you're losing in your sport. Yep. They're literally formulated for that purpose. So mm-hmm. you know, thinking that not giving your kid a Gatorade at, you know, halftime of a double header at a soccer game, like <laughs> there's different ways that we could approach that. And Gatorade yeah. is a useful tool in some context for, for kids, for sure. Yeah. I also like what you said, how you know, maybe from a day-to-day standpoint with dinner, when you're not exercising, like, yeah, maybe to some more water, some juice, potentially also milk, something with a little bit more calories, um, maybe more protein could be chocolate milk. Always love chocolate milk, but maybe some different things could be great. Maybe veering away from just the, the, cause it is added sugar, right? It's not, yeah. Again, it's not the same as soda, right? There's these differences, but I just want people to appreciate Gatorade and all these other purpose. what they are. Yeah. yeah. There's a tool. Love that. What about this idea that athletes need to eat clean to perform better? What do you make of that sentence? <laughs> I despise the term clean eating. I think it goes in hand in hand with like labeling foods, you know, good. Um, and I think that that, that like, is really confusing because it's like oh eat clean don't eat foods that you can't pronounce like i i can't pronounce every you know every ingredient or foods like so am i just going to avoid it i think it's like i think it's a like term that gets used by people that just want to kind of peddle certain types of foods or use fear mongering for people like if something is clean then it means that other food is dirty and that distrust, you know, that kind of separates people from trusting their own, you know, their food that they're eating or maybe foods that they enjoy. Um, And I think it also just like separates people from like people that are low income from those that aren't. And I think that that's, you know, that's unfortunate. And I just don't like using it because it's just a really, useless term that doesn't actually equate to healthy food yeah is lazy is really what it is yeah it is lazy (laughs) and it just feeds into this again good or bad food dichotomy that there's foods we should be eating and should be avoiding when in reality all foods can fit and all foods should fit and all foods have their place but when you view foods in this light it's like that's contributing to this terrible relationship that you have with your food also in turn with your body sometimes it can lead to maybe not full on eating disorders. Hell yeah. can lead to those in some contexts and it's more prevalent than we yeah. think, but just disordered eating patterns and then getting into these dietary practices that are non-productive, even after we're done with our sport or done playing at a, at a competitive yeah. level. So, I mean, yeah. it's just like a, it's just like a useless label. It just doesn't have any bearing on the nutritional value of a food. And usually those people that are saying like, eat clean. And then they're like, use my supplement. And Mm. it's like, my supplement has, and then they just list off like ingredients, like it's so normal. And, you know, these people that are doing that, they're probably selling something that is, you know, 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Just bullshit. Yeah. And all I can say is like, thank God for like chocolate milk and PB and J's <laughs> or sandwiches or bread. Right. Cause yeah. another thing, like when we talk about energy and getting enough food in throughout the day, like it's, it's really hard to eat 3,800 calories by eating salads and kidney beans and, and just yeah. a protein and a veggie with all of your meals, like try getting to oh, 3,800 yeah. calories. So that's where things like snacks and smoothies, right. And, and, mm -hmm. and rice cakes or pretzels or PB and J's or chocolate milk or liquid calories can help people get to some of those higher yep. things to meet their energy demand. So there's a place for everything. Do some foods have more protein and more fiber than other foods? Heck yeah. Do some foods have yep. more added sugar and more calories than others? Yes, but let's see them for what they are and understand that they can all fit and they should all fit. Yeah. So. yeah. Awesome. awesome. Kind of relating back to the diet culture conversation we had, we kind of talked about fasting, but this idea of going to practice in a fasted state or going to games in a fasted state or even intermittent fasting as a whole, thoughts on that? You know, not ideal. Yeah, you could go to your your practice. You could go to your game not having eaten anything. And sure, you're going to be moving around, but could it be better? Yes. If you're someone who doesn't already practice, like I talk about nutrition as just as like you have to train to have a better first touch, or if you're a basketball player, you're getting in as many shots as possible. You have to train your stomach and your body to tolerate food. So if you're someone who is doing is fasting because you're you've had a bad experience, I think it's worth practicing again. Um, but if you eat something or drink something before practice or your game, you will have energy. I love that. Yeah. Just getting away from being afraid to eat beforehand. And a lot of times, like you said, somebody who has a negative experience eating before a practice or a meal, or they had cramps, like Chances are maybe there was something that we could do differently, or maybe we could eat a lower amount, or maybe we need to only eat carbs or practicing a different hydration strategy beforehand. Yep. Like that's when all of that is really good to practice is not during the season or during a game day, yep. so to speak, but in the off season, or even just regular throughout the week, when you're going through your normal practices, there will be a time where you need more calories and food. And if you're not eating enough on some of those higher, you know, energy demanding days, it's going to be a sinking ship. So I love that. Yeah. Yes, you can fast while training or practicing, but is it optimal? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And chances are you might maximize your performance a lot better by having more food um, yeah. before or during your, your training bout. Awesome. I love it. I, again, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to just recap everything and I'm just going to say something and maybe you could add to it, but when it comes to performance, nutrition, or even being a team sport player, an individual sport player, or just a normal person trying to compete in city league in basketball on your own, right? Like there's a lot of context in which you're an athlete. And I argue anybody that moves their body intentionally is an athlete in my books, right? So there's, oh, yeah. there's room for everything. We're not excluding anybody from this conversation, but when it comes down to it, performance nutrition is different from physique nutrition. And when you get too caught up in changing the way you look, your performance will likely suffer from it or might not be as, you know, as productive as mm -hmm. you'd like it to be. Um, carbs are not the enemy. We really need to appreciate the importance of sleep and recovery in addition to what we're actually doing training-wise, lifting-wise, showing up to practice and competing. And being able to look at foods as all foods can fit to create a good, healthy relationship with 
the food that you're eating, with the body that you're eating, eating enough calories, a lot of those are going to be good recipes for you to be able to maximize your performance, feel really good, and just kick the shit out of anyone who's trying to compete with you. Because that's really what it comes yeah. down to is how can I separate myself from other people? And when Absolutely. you focus on a lot of these big rocks, that's how you know you're you're taking care of yourself and your body is going to return the favor later on. So, yeah, I love that. And I like, I think all of that just comes down to like keeping your eyes on yourself and what you are doing and not looking and comparing yourself to anyone else, what they're doing, because what they're doing is, you know, might work for them, but might not work for you. So keep your eyes on your own plate, keep your eyes on what your training looks like and your strengths are, are yours. And, you know, I think that's the, that's the real important thing. I wish I knew when I was younger, just to like keep the blinders on and focus on what I'm doing. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you for spending some time today. One last question I have for you is, um, who's going to win the world cup? Oh, I was hoping England, but now I'm, I'm either rooting for, well, I want Messi to win. So I'm going to go with Argentina. I'll just say that. It's cool. I, you know, I, I'd be a liar if I said I like soccer, but I definitely tuned into World Cup stuff. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love watching it, but it's been cool to see like some smaller, I don't even know if they're smaller names. I don't even know if that's a thing, but like just smaller teams like Croatia, Morocco, whatever it uh, is, like competing with some of these other big teams, it fires me up. Even seeing like, that's why I love the World Cup so much. And some of these things where it's like, you have Iran or Saudi Arabia beating this big powerhouse. And it's just, man, to see the emotions coming from the players, but yeah. the in the country, like you can't beat it, even though the USA suboptimal, but eh. what could we expect, I, I, you know? love, <laughs> I love the world cup. I mean, it just brings countries like there's just something about it and it's just wonderful to, to just see how it can connect people across the world. So yeah, Amen. I am partial. Amen. Well, thank you again for your time. I'll link everything in the show notes on how to reach you, but tell the people where they can find you um, and plug anything yeah. you want to. Yeah. Um, so I am on Instagram, soccer.nutritionist. Um, if you are interested, you can uh, subscribe to my newsletter. You'll get a freebie. It's the 10 minute meals for busy athletes. So you'll get that right away. But I really appreciate it, Luke. I enjoyed this conversation. This was, this was awesome. Same. Thanks for coming on. appreciate you. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.